What's up, everybody? Will Brinson here with another Pick 6 Podcast. Happy Monday. Hope your weekend went well. Hope you got a short week coming up, or at least an easy one, or at least traffic isn't bad. If traffic is bad, good news. We got a longer podcast today, and I'm going to dive right into it because uh, Jared Dubin and I, Jared works at CBS Sports, one of my colleagues at the Iowa football side. Um, we started to talk about the Cowboys because Jared's a Cowboys fan. And then we're going to grade the AFC East divisions. And somewhere in the middle of that 30 rock got us derailed. And maybe Johnny Manziel, too. He signed as well. Uh, but we're going to hit all the news and hit the AFC, e- AFC East, South, North, and West. Talk about those divisions and run through that. Uh, as always, if you've got tweets, send them to me at Will Brinson, at the podcast, at Pick 6, at Pick Six Pod. Make sure to scri- subscribe, rate, and review, and let's get to it. All right, Dubin, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, gracing us with your presence on this Sunday afternoon as we record this for Monday morning. We That means people will have to wait to find out your thoughts on Rockets Warriors. Um, although I am curious, do you think that the I mean, I guess the Rockets stand a chance by virtue of winning a single by, by, by virtue of it not being them down 0-2 going into the Sunday night game, right? Yeah, I mean, I would think so. I picked the Warriors in seven before the start of the series. I think, you know, they obviously have to take at least one game in Oakland for that to happen. Uh, I would think that they need to take one of these next two. I can't imagine they're going to win a game six in Oakland when the Warriors have the chance to close it out if they're coming back up 3-2. So it's going to be super interesting. And, uh, you know... Whoever hits more threes, I guess, is probably going to win. That's <laughs> whoever scores, way it goes between those two teams. Whoever scores more points is probably going to walk out of there as, <laughs> as the winner. Uh, all right, let's talk NFL though, because a the, the game is not happening until in between the the time this podcast is actually released, and b because this is in fact an NFL podcast first wait a uh, minute this is an nfl podcast i know right you actually I was not you, told about this <laughs> you whoa i thought we would be talking about brad stevens i do think that brad stevens i made it i tweeted something and i got i did not i got a very bad ratio on it but i will I stand, saw the feedback <laughs> i will i will stand by it and i don't i don't think i don't what i was trying to say is that i don't think the i don't think that brad stevens will actually end up with like seven titles, but if Brad Stevens retired and had seven titles, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he almost won two titles at Butler, and I mean, like in the in like the NCAA tournament, which is infinitely harder to win because it's a single elimination game against a, a situation where you don't have the parity of a professional sports league. And now he's finally getting his roster together in in uh, in Boston, and LeBron James is probably. You know, within five years of losing his superhero power, I, I wouldn't be stunned if Stevens won four or five titles. Is that crazy? Yes. I mean, you're basically asking him to coach until like he's 80, probably. Hmm. If you're going to assume that he's, he's only 18 at some point, he's only he's in his early 40s. He's still very young. You would basically have to assume that at some point the Celtics will have two different dynasties during his tenure as the coach, just Mm. because teams really aren't contenders for more than three or four years at a time at this point, you know, we'll see, I would imagine the warriors test that. And obviously the Spurs have been the exception to the rule over the years, but you look at everybody else, it's basically like three or four year runs. And you're talking about the Celtics needing to win three or four within that four year run twice (laughs) during Stevens's career. And, you know, 
Is it theoretically possible just based on the math? I guess. Um, would I be surprised? Yes. Um, do I think he's going to coach till he's 80? Probably not. <laughs> okay. So you're sort of shooting some, uh, cold water on my theory that, and you're, but you're right though. If you think about the, like the comparison, I mean, Belichick and the Patriots had to win multiple times, you know, to, to get to their five and they almost had six last year. They had to win multiple titles in multiple different what, dynasties right now. They could have eight if they'd beaten the Giants and if they if they would have beaten the NFC East in the uh, in the Super Bowls that they lost. That's true. Yeah. Now that I think about like the um, the two Giants ones, so I'm I will get into this in a little bit, but I am a Cowboys fan. Correct. And um, I went to college with a lot of people from the New York area and a lot of people from the Boston area. So I watched that first Super Bowl in 2007 with a bunch of Giants fans and a bunch of Patriots fans. And then I watched the second Super Bowl with all, you know, all my friends from growing up who are mostly Giants fans and Jets fans. So they were all rooting for the Giants, you know, over the Patriots. So, um, you know, I I have not had much luck rooting for the Patriots against teams from my division. Hmm. Interesting. Um, That is interesting, actually. That's so maybe the next time that you are rooting for the Patriots, bet against them uh for for those who for those who care about such things i am drinking a burial surflax tonight on this sunday evening a delightful uh non non new england ipa um for those who care you got a beer or anything going on just uh you, i've got some coffee because uh it's gonna be a late night hmm. all right well you are you, you are you are an nba savant and so i'm just gonna enjoy the the action i don't i probably won't even stay up i'll probably watch westworld if it gets out of hand Anyway, we digress. We digress at great length as this is supposed to be only. Already. This is why I haven't been on the podcast yet, because I, I will just take conversations in too many directions. Well, I don't think that's exclusive to you in, in so no, much as like, yeah, in so much as you and me being on the telephone. Um, but I do want to dive into two news items. One that happened over the weekend. One, Johnny Manziel, and we were briefly going to dive onto this because it's very self-explanatory. Johnny Manziel, in announcing his Barstool Sports podcast, comeback season, S-Z-N, as the kids are want to say these days, um, also revealed that he's signing a two-year contract with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. That deal had been offered to him by the Tiger Cats uh, several, maybe two months ago, I think. Basically, they wanted to retain his right, so they offered him this two-year contract. And I think the way that this played out with Manziel's work in the Spring Developmental League in Austin um, and with his agent, Eric Burkhardt, talking to NFL teams, they came to the realization that no one was going to take a chance on Johnny to the point that it would make sense for him to uh, risk not being able to play next year. And so he has made a two-year commitment to go to Canada. It will give him an opportunity to, um, I think, so through the 2019 NFL season, it will give him an, op- an opportunity to show NFL teams that he is capable of being part of a roster, being part of a club, being a, a leader on and off the field um, over an extended period of time in a football setting, assuming, of course, he can win the job, which is not guaranteed. Um, is it Jeremiah, Jeremiah Masoli, the old Oregon quarterback, I think is his, oh. and, a, and a favorite of draft Twitter is his competition up there in Hamilton. But that's, I mean, that, yeah, look, I mean, he's, it, Manziel's basically going to disappear for two years, save for stretches um, once a week where he plays and, and we do highlight write-ups of him. Uh, the other big piece of news, and feel free to comment on Manziel if, if you're so inclined, but, but don't, don't feel like you need to because there's really nothing <laughs> to say. I've- two things about that first of all i did not know he was getting the podcasts um that seems like it's a disaster waiting to happen and then you know not to besmirch our neighbors to the north but hamilton tiger cats is the real name of the team and it is and it it is actually tiger dash cats 
I actually like that better. Okay, I'm in on it. <laughs> I think there's like a tiger cat animal. I, I'm in on tiger cats too. I think I think it's tiger dash. I, I, surely it's like a. It's not to suggest that it's like they're both cats and tigers. I would assume that hey, a, it is tiger dash cats. No, it is. Uh, but like, is the mascot? Wait a minute. June Jones is their coach. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this team's Just good. This team's going to be fun to watch. I mean, Johnny Manziel could flourish in a June Jones-style offense. I mean, the stuff he ran in Hawaii is pretty similar to, you know, to an air raid concept, right? I mean, I think he's if he's not directly the, tied. The rules are different there. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know. It's like nine guys and three downs or something. Yeah, it's uh, – yeah, I think it is only three downs. I, I don't want to speak – Attempt to speak too much on it because I am not entirely positive, uh, but yeah, it is it is a uh, it is it is very different. Honestly, so yeah, all I know about the CFL is from a throwaway joke in Thirty Rock that had uh, Danny, the weird cast member that came along and then basically was never on the show, playing a Canadian quarterback in a Canadian movie, and it was like, "All right, hosers, I do remember all Danny. ten meters on three downs." Do you know this? It's been like it's it's been like. 10 years since 30 rocks aired is that how is that possible no it's got to be less than that i it's i mean i remember watching it live in um in my old condo in greensboro when my wife and i were not married and we'll have been married seven years i mean it ran from oh it started in oh six it definitely ended after i finished law school so it's yeah. either 2012 or 2013. 06 to 13. So it hadn't been 10 years since it ended, but it's been it's been 12 right. years since it started. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, that's wild. Anyway, I remember I, it came out at the same time as Studio 60, and that was supposed to be the big NBC show based on the backstage of a TV show. Right. It was Aaron Sorkin and uh, Matthew Perry and Josh Lyman. That's right. Great call. Wow. Uh, by the way, June Jones, not in not an air raid guy, but run and shoot. Uh, he played under Mouse Davis. How come we don't name anybody Mouse anymore? I would be. I, don't know. I would be in on like being called like Mouse, like Mouse Brinson. I feel like I feel like it's he, a little late to get in on that now, though. It, like, it is. I mean, I'm not saying it would have need to be like a something at the start of your career. Right, right, right. It would be. It would be bizarre if I suddenly started asking people to call me Mouse. Right. What um, you can do is like start like a ghost Twitter account with a pen name, and you can be like <laughs> Mouse Cooper. Or something and then that guy can rise up or or i could start a, a, a fake twitter account and have him be like old mouse brinson at it again and just <laughs> and i'll just retweet him and then hopefully it it happens sort of like the t-bone situation in seinfeld um that works too. i'm kind of in on mouse brinson i think we call we call my son moose a lot I, <laughs> we call my grandfather moose for some reason so moose is not a bad nickname mouse mouse slightly uh <laughs> Slightly, not not quite as dynamic as, as a moose. Right, anyway, we have officially swerved off the, off the rails. The other piece of news, <laughs> I know, let me search for my handy rundown. The other piece of news from this weekend, Terrence Williams, Cowboys wide receiver one, question mark, arrested. And uh, it's a very bizarre situation. Williams was arrested after police in Frisco, Texas, 
found his 2017 blue Lamborghini crashed into a telephone pole. And when they figured out it was his Lamborghini, he wasn't there. They you know, searched through the registration and all that, found out it was his, went to his house and found him in his driveway, drunkenly riding an electric scooter around. He was taken in for public intoxication, which is a class C misdemeanor. And he could potentially face another misdemeanor for running into the light pole and causing more than $200 worth of government property damage. Um, I, the, the arrest itself is just weird and, and odd and, and all of that. Like why like, oh, I crashed my Lamborghini. I'm going to go home and ride a scooter. That seems like a weird, um, brain f- function to have. Uh, but we can ignore that for a second. Is there any chance that Terrence Williams, who did have the most receiving yards last year of any Cowboys receiver still on the roster? Is there any chance he gets cut? Dude? Um, I would think that there's a non-zero chance. I don't know <laughs> if there's a good chance. Um, you know, you look at the the moves they've made this offseason. They brought in four new wide receivers. They signed Alan Hearns and Deontay Thompson. Then they drafted Michael Gallup in the third round and Cedric Wilson in, I think, the sixth round um, out of Boise State. So now they have, you know, seven or eight receivers technically on the roster. Williams, if they make the move after June 1st, it's a cap neutral move if they want to cut him. And, like, he's not good. Like, no, he's not. you know, they, they were crowing last year that they had re-signed him to on a contract that they considered a discount. It was four years and I think $17 million. And they were talking about what a big discount it is because he's a great blocker. Um, if that's the best thing you can say about a wide receiver, like, I don't think that's very good. And, you know, they, they drafted Noah Brown in the sixth round, who his best attribute as a wide receiver was that he's a blocker also. And I'm looking at it on Pro Football Focus right now. Noah Brown played just about half of the run-blocking snaps as Terrence Williams last year, and his run-blocking grade was four times as high Jeez. as Terrence Williams. Um, you know, that's that's not gospel, obviously. Right. But, you know, that's that's not a good sign for a guy, you know, whose supposed best attribute is his blocking. You look at it last year, he set a career high in catches, but he set a career low in receiving yards, in yards per reception. Uh, he didn't score a touchdown for the first time in his career. Not that he was ever, you know, a big touchdown guy anyway. He's going to be 29 years old this year. He's unlikely to get better at any point. Uh, I would not be surprised, I guess, if he was cut. But, you know, the, the Cowboys, I would imagine, do want to have some bit of continuity at the position because if he's gone, then it's basically Cole Beasley and nobody else left from their pass catching core last year. Um, after him, it would be, you know, Zeke, Rod Smith. Uh, and Jeff Swain as the only guys that caught passes from last year's team. That is a major, major problem, especially when you consider that two of those guys are listed as running backs and one is listed as a tight end and sounds really more like um, someone who plays backup guitar on a Chris Stapleton album. In <laughs> uh, Jeff Swain, obviously, not Zeke. Or Zeke, Zeke maybe too. Zeke could, Zeke could do yeah. that too. Uh, what, on a scale, as a Cowboys fan, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your panic level? For this cowboy, for this group of wide receivers and tight ends and, and pass catchers on the Cowboys, so it's actually kind of low. Hmm. Uh, surprisingly, just if, if you remove the names and just think about the production that they got last year, it would be very difficult for the Cowboys' receiving core, you know, tight ends and receivers included, to be worse than it was last year. Um, you look at the, their three top receivers from last season. Go to um, Go to football outsiders. Des Bryant was 72nd in DVOA. Terrence Williams was 
uh, 52nd in DVOA. And Cole Beasley was – now I have to find it again because I had to scroll too far away. Um, so I'm going to stall right now while I run my search function. And Cole Beasley was 74th in DVOA. So those guys were really, really bad last year. And, it, and it's and it's not just the advanced stuff like DVOA. Like I said before, Terrence Williams, career low in yards per catch, didn't score a touchdown. Dez had a career low in catch rate. Um, you know, career lows, I think, since his rookie season in, you know, in terms of yards per game and yard and re- receptions per game, his yards per reception was very low as well. Jason Witten set lows since his rookie year for Cash's yards, um, not touchdowns because he didn't never really scored that much. But, you know, Cole Beasley had 36 catches last year after being the Cowboys yeah. leading receiver with 75 the year before. Uh, he had a career low catch rate as well. All of these guys were really, really bad last year and you know I, I don't i don't care who you put on the field this year it would be very difficult for them to be worse than the cowboys guys were last season i think that's a good point i'm not sure that that should mitigate a level of panic the oh okay. i don't think they're gonna be good it just like they can't be worse if, so, if like if, what am i panicking about right that's okay. That's a fair point. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to panic because I know they won't be good. I mean, how how is this offense going to be Dak, quote unquote Dak friendly? That's what I don't get. I guess. Yeah, I don't particularly get that either. I mean, it, it does seem like one of the things that they came into the off season with as a goal was, you know, and I wrote about this, and you know, I've been doing throughout the off season after the draft, sort of like draft reviews to see what the theme teams came into the draft was. And I wrote about this in the one um, we did on the Cowboys where it seemed like they wanted to get obviously faster and more athletic. Um, That was, you know, a big theme that they talked about at the end of the season. And, you know, Des, they talked about how he couldn't separate anymore and he wasn't, you know, he lost some of his athleticism. And I don't think they planned on Jason Whitman leaving, but, you know, that's obviously another guy that wasn't super athletic, you know, even though he always wound up open somehow. (laughs) But, you know, they, they came in. Alan Hearns is a very good athlete, um, and he's not, you know, a, a necessarily as good at contested catches as Dez. But I think what he does bring is a versatility. He runs more than slants, digs, and goes. Um, that's something that Michael Gallup excelled at, too. You know, he was pro football focus's highest graded wide receiver in the country last year. Uh, if you wow. looked at uh, Matt Harmon from NFL.com, does his reception perception. Yep where, you know, he grades receivers in all the different routes. He was one of the most versatile wide receivers in the draft. Um, Cedric Wilson graded very well on that as well and was good at contested catches also. Um, so I, I think that they made it a point to get guys that can do more than one thing, which was, I think, a big problem for them last year. Terrence Williams goes deep or he does nothing. Des Bryant gets a screen, a slant, uh, a dig, or a go. Um, They did get a little bit more versatile. You know, obviously the talent is not quite as good as as Dez is. Um, But I I do think that basically what they want to do is not have teams know what guys are running or even where they're going to line up when they break the huddle and then when they come to the line of scrimmage. Um, You know, Hearns is a guy that has played, I think last year he played like 70% of his slots in, uh, sorry, of his snaps in the slot. (laughs) But before that he had played the majority outside. Gallup lined up all over at Colorado State too. So now they have a little bit more flexibility in terms of 
the the routes that guys can run and where they can line up. And I think that that was a big key for them. You know, they're talking up Tavon Austin like everybody that gets Tavon Austin does, but I don't see that working out. That's a yeah. Tavon Austin is a hard sell for me. I do. I do agree. I do. I can see some situation where these guys manage to make more precise they made these guys manage to run more precise precise routes and be more versatile like you were saying it ends up helping Dak but it's just it's just hard to imagine the receivers being the the over the top factor to me to, you know and I'm sure no, different. No. it comes I down imagine to- like the big thing is going to be like they solidified the offensive line again yep. uh with with Connor Williams and then you know we'll see if if he starts inside or if he starts to tackle what that does with Lyle Collins, you know, maybe Cam Fleming winds up winning the tackle job and one of those other guys is a backup, who knows. But, you know, offensive line was a huge problem last year. Um, you know, for as much as they've been called the best offensive line in the league, they were not very good for a lot of the season. You know, some of that was Tyron Smith playing hurt and then missing a bunch of games. And some of that was, you know, left guard was a sinkhole all year. Uh, Jonathan Cooper and Chaz Green were both kind of disasters. And then Collins sort of struggled, you know, in fits and starts with his transition to right tackle. So I think bringing in Fleming and Marcus Martin and Connor Williams will help solidify that offensive line, keep Dak a little bit more well protected. Um, And I think that, you know, Jerry Jones talked about it, not having the cloud of, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's possible suspension hanging over the team all year. You know, Zeke was not himself for a lot of last year. Oh, for and sure. He still wound up running for over a thousand yards in 10 games. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a guy who, you know, we obviously don't know what happened between him uh, and his former girlfriend. I can't possibly come to a moral judgment let alone a legal judgment on what happened but he's really good at football and for the purposes of the conversation that we're having i would believe that you know him being on the field the whole year and not having to worry about anything going on outside of football is going to help Dak too i think that that's more of the quote-unquote Dak friendly angle that they're taking as opposed to like the wide receivers that we brought in are going to help him be better even though they do think bring something different at least than what they had last year yeah if Zeke is awesome that offense will be much more Dak friendly that is fair that is certainly fair to say all right let's roll over to the AFC side of things because coming up this week I don't know why I wasn't invited to to do this feature I guess it's because I'm doing these win totals things every day and and the podcast and that's fine Um, plus there are only four divisions and there are five writers in the Ion football community uh, brethren if you will but you Sean Ryan and Breach are all going to write grading the offseason from a divisional standpoint basically giving a grade to each team in each division Um, you have the AFC West and that's coming Friday but we're going to start in chronological order and we're going to grade each division except we're not going to do every team we're just going to say who had the best and who had the worst um, offseason let's start with the AFC East what and this is not the best team for those listening so like we don't Everyone agrees the Patriots are the best team in the AFC East, but who had the best AFC offseason in your mind, dupes? I think it's still the Patriots. Um, (laughs) That is – some of that is, you know, really, really not liking the offseasons of two of the teams in the division, who I'm sure we'll talk to – talk about when we get to the worst but some of that is also you know they they plugged some of the holes that they had they brought in adrian claiborne to help rush the passer uh after they traded brandon cooks they brought in um jordan matthews as a guy that you know on a one million dollar one-year deal maybe they can get something out of him they brought in braxton barrios who i know extremely well from his time at the university of miami oh yeah Uh, they, they brought in him to essentially be danny amendola they're getting julian edelman back 
uh, Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady did not retire. <laughs> Josh McDaniels stayed in uh, in New England. They they drafted Isaiah Wynn to solidify their offensive line after uh, Nate Solder and um, and Cam Fleming both left. Um, they brought in another tight end behind Gronkowski um, in Troy Nicholas that they got from Arizona. They brought in um, Jeremy Hill and Sony Michelle, um, you know, to I guess theoretically replace Dion Lewis and probably Mike Gillisley. <laughs> the the soon to be departed Mike Gillisley. Yeah, is moving on at some point. Um, so I. I, I liked what they did. You know, they didn't get their quote unquote quarterback of the future that everybody assumed they were going to get at some point. But I think they did a good job plugging their holes. They added a bunch of value in the draft like they normally do in terms of, the you know, their trade backs and how much you know additional draft capital that they picked up. So I think they did really well. That's a that's a very compelling argument, and uh, you know it's kings stay kings or whatever the art you know whatever the the line is. I mean, like the you know the Patriots have a very good base to begin with. None of the other teams in the division got exceptionally better, and certainly don't look like they're going to challenge the Patriots this off you know in this coming season. So from that perspective, I I, I can I can get behind that. I would actually go um, just for the sake of being different, and because I don't think that they'll be one of the worst teams. I would say the Jets had the best off season, and not that I. Think think that they you know put themselves in a position where they can contend for a, for a wild card and and really make any sort of run but they have an interesting defense you know I like the addition of Avery Williamson and free agency to replace uh, DeMario Davis who left Williamson still really young can play they've got a, they've got a secondary that's you know got some talent kind of cooking up in Tremaine there Johnson now too that was yeah, yeah, yeah 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 exactly and they went out and bought and they went out and got Tremaine Johnson I thought that even though they missed out on Kirk Cousins and even though they only traded up to the third spot, guaranteeing themselves one of three quarterbacks, the luck of the draw in which Baker Mayfield goes one and Sam Darnold goes to them at three and uh, Albert Breer of the NMQB has a really good piece detailing the the Jets' sort of obsession with with Darnold that that I would recommend people go read. I mean, they landed a guy who could be a franchise quarterback and who could change the perception of this this organization. So uh, I would would go with the Jets, but I am with you uh, on the on the Patriots having a very nice offseason what uh what would be your worst team in that division yeah so the Jets were way ahead of the other two teams in the division for yes. me I'm, I'm giving the the co-worst offseason of the AFC <laughs> to the Dolphins who I just do not understand at all um, and the Buffalo Bills um the Dolphins I mean everybody they signed is like 45 years old they cut and Sue. They brought in Brock Osweiler. They traded Jarvis Landry after franchise tagging him and then gave Albert Wilson $8 million a year and Danny Amendola $6 million a year. And they're talking about wanting to play more 13 personnel with three tight ends um, and, and going up tempo at the same time. Um, Mike Tannenbaum continues to flabbergast me in terms of the moves that he makes. Um, I've not necessarily been a big fan of his when he was with the Jets, and I am continuing to not be a big fan of his now that he's with uh, now he's with the Dolphins. Although I did like the Mika Fitzpatrick pick, I think it's kind of crazy that he fell to the eleventh pick. Um, and then the Bills um, traded up for Josh Allen, who I just do not don't understand. Like. Yeah. Um, I just don't get it. Um, yeah, I mean that alone, I think sacrificing additional draft value to trade up for a quarterback who I don't really think should have gone in the first round based on his performance 
at Wyoming. Um, I don't get that. The, the, the I would I, I I agree with you that they both haven't had great off seasons. I would give the nod to the the Dolphins as the worst, if only because the Bills at least um, like they're attempting to rebuild. We're just kind of skewed by the fact that they went to the playoffs last year. Let's go to the AFC North. Who had uh, who would you say is the best? And go ahead and give you can go and give best and worst if you want on the AFC North. These two divisions that we're gonna do next the north and the south i had a problem here because i kind of liked everybody's off season and it was more of a degree of how much i liked them as opposed to you know not necessarily excuse me not necessarily liking one team or the other you know i think i liked what the browns did the most just because they were able to do the most by virtue of having you know over $100 million in cap space and more draft capital than any team has had in the last, like, 30 years. Um, so, you know, between bringing in Tyrod Taylor and Jarvis Landry, they signed Carlos Hyde to give them another look at, at running back alongside Duke Johnson. They brought in a bunch of guys uh, on defense. They brought in EJ Gaines. They brought in um, Denzel Ward, obviously, at corner. They drafted their quarterback of the future. Um, you know, they didn't sacrifice too much draft value, you know, in, in terms of getting the guys that they wanted. They drafted Nick Chubb, who I think is, you know, another guy who can help them at running back. They got, you know, who I, somebody who I think because I saw him play a lot because um, he went to Miami, Chad Thomas, who I think is going to be really good yeah. across from Miles Garrett. Just the, the way that he's able to play, you know, take inside and outside routes, play physically against the run. Um, and I think he's going to be a very good secondary pass rusher. You know, they added upside to their receiving core by taking Antonio Callaway, who, you know, has had obviously a lot of off-field problems <laughs> throughout his career at Florida. But, you know, based on pure talent, might have been, like, the best wide receiver in the draft. Yep. And, you know, based on how much draft capital they had, like, okay, a fourth-round pick that they got, you know, as trade compensation for, I believe, Devin – or not Devin McCourty, Jason McCourty, who, you know, they were not really going to have use for, you know, with the remaking of their defensive backfield anyway – um, you know, they were just able to do so much because of how much money they had. So, you know, to me that just the amount of good they were able to do just exceeds the amount of good the other AFC North teams were able to do, even though I did like the offseason of every AFC North team. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I don't I don't I don't think there's a team I didn't like. Um, the one the one concern I would have is that the Bengals mm-hmm. didn't set themselves up for a situation where they want to move on from Andy Dalton, whereas the Steelers, Ravens, and Browns all were able to potentially position themselves to have a quarterback of the future. And I think if you're Cincinnati, you at least have to be a little bit worried about that. But they put talent around Andy Dalton, so I I can get down with that. And I do think, you know, just on the Andy Dalton front, I'm pretty sure after this season they can get out of his deal with no dead money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, This is a make-or-break year for for old I would expect them, like – if he's not very good, I would expect them to either be players in the free agent market for, you know, whatever quarterback winds up there. Or, you know, if he's not good, I would imagine they're going to be picking close to high in the draft and they're going to at that point move on. But, you know, their big problem last year was offensive line and they traded for Cordy Glenn. They drafted Billy Price um, with uh, with their first round pick. They added some flexibility at linebacker. They got Malik Jefferson. Um, you know, even, you know, Jeremy Hill left, I would imagine. That's an upgrade. <laughs> the, uh, right. Jer- Jeremy Hill left. He's not very good. Um, you know, they don't seem to be too enamored with Gio Bernard. And I would imagine that their drafting of Mark Walton means they're preparing to let Bernard go after this season. 
and I think that, you know, based on the way he plays, Walton and Joe Mixon can actually be, you know, a, a nice combination because they do they sort of fill in the blanks of each other's skill sets. No, that's a good point. And Gio Bernard, by the way, a top 10 paid running back somehow. Uh, good for you, Gio. Good for you, buddy. Uh, and Gio's a Miami guy, right? I mean, he, I mean, he's from Miami. I know he went to Carolina. Believe me. I, know. I, I, know. I think he's from Miami, though. I think I think that, I, I'm pretty sure. I think it was St. Thomas Aquinas. I think that's right. Anyway, um, AFC South, who you got as a, a big winner? And I, I tend to agree with you on the North. Who you got as a winner in the South and a loser in the South? I kind of I kind of like what everybody did in the South too. You know, you like you look at the Jaguars. Other than bringing back Blake Bortles, I liked <laughs> everything they did. You know, they stacked on top of their strengths with uh, with Taven Bryan in the first round, Ronnie Harrison in the third round. They even replaced the the, the Allens at receiver. They drafted DJ Chark in the second round. Um, you know, they made obviously you know one of the bigger signings oh, well. in, in all of free agency when they gave what was it like sixty something. Yeah, it was, it was like, million. yeah, it was maybe fifty-eight. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was yeah, offensive 66 tackle and a half million yeah. for Andrew Norwell. Yeah, offensive um, tackle money to Norwell. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that they they filled a lot of their holes really well, and they stacked on top of their strengths um, in the draft. You know, the Titans brought in Deion Lewis, Malcolm Butler. They brought in like one hundred and fifty guys. Uh, they did trade up, I believe, uh, in the draft. They only wound up using four draft picks. Yeah, they came but, up with a very small draft class. It was odd. Yeah. The guys they got early, I think, do a lot for them in terms of Rashawn Evans and Harold Landry. Yes. You know, Evans covers so much ground. Um, and Landry, last year, dealt with injuries at Boston College. But the year before, he was like the best pass rusher in the country, um, or at least one of them. And uh, that's something that they really badly needed, too. So, you know, I, I think they did a pretty good job there, too. Um, you know, the Texans is basically just, all right, J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson are going to be healthy. So that's great. <laughs> in, I mean, in theory, yeah, in theory, they should be healthy. I'm a little worried that Watson and Carson Wentz. I don't want to, you know, yeah. poo poo on a on the, the optimism of the offseason for for these for the Eagles and the and the Texans. But I'm a little worried that those guys, because I mean, you know, I mean, you you you're not currently dealing with an ACL situation, right? You you but you no, had you've had, had an ACL meniscus before. twice. Not not a, I didn't have ACL. I had oh. meniscus twice. That's right. But I mean, like here's but I mean here's the thing about the ACL surgery that, that people don't talk about enough is the recovery time to be able to play again is nine months. But the recovery time to be the same player that you were before, as we've seen from a lot of people, including like a prime athlete like Rob Gronkowski, is really closer like to fifteen months. And I think that's that's going to be a concern for two quarterbacks who have been very dependent on their legs. And then the J.J. Watt thing, like I love Watt as much as as much as anybody who, you know, Watt, who I mean, look, Watt is Watt is incredible. And watching him has been a blast. Uh, my main concern with Watt is that I hope we are not watching a Hall of Fame career deteriorate quickly. And because another season lost to injury would be a pretty big red flag. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I think he's got to be in the Hall of Fame if you retire right now. Tomorrow. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, when you ha- when you're dealing with like back injuries, neck injuries, and you had a hip injury at one point too, like those are the kind of things that you're never necessarily 100% the same after that. Uh, you know, I know myself from my own hip tear. Um, you know, you're you're never 100% after that. Um, that's a, even when he was on the field for the first few games last year when he came back from, you know, his previous injury. He was really good. You know, he wasn't necessarily the all-world dominating defensive force, best player in the league. 
but he was certainly very good before he got hurt again totally. last season. I feel like if he can get on the field, he's going to be good, and it's just a matter of him staying on the field. Texas, um, you know, by the way, the Texans are 16-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. They have the same odds as the Jaguars. That is crazy to me. Wow. I, I mean, I like the Texans' quarterback situation clearly much better if Deshaun yeah. Watson is healthy. Do we think, though, like, do we think Deshaun Watson's going to throw a touchdown on 10% of his passes no. again? No. Like, no. that's crazy. Yeah. Like, I, I was listening to um, the uh, the Ringer NFL podcast the other day, and they were talking about it. Like, Matt Ryan, in his amazing MVP season two years ago, threw touchdowns on 7% of his passes, and that was crazy. Watson was, like, 150% better than that <laughs> yeah. last year. Not um, likely to not likely to repeat itself. Right. You know, that's that's not to say he won't still be great. It's just, you know, expecting the Texans to score like five touchdowns a game is probably expecting a little bit too much. It it most certainly is. Uh you know, I actually like what the Colts did too. I think the Colts are right. I, I am I am on the Chris Ballard bandwagon. I don't think they're going to be very good this year, barring Andrew Luck really surprising some people and 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 being you know Andrew Andrew Luck caliber, or being 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 the guy that he was before he really started to deal with these injuries. But I I, I sort of like um, what the Colts have done as well, and I'm I'm in on the Titans. I think they're going to be my pick to win the division, but they it's going to be tough to get past the Jaguars, who are a very loaded team. What about the West? And this is the team you this is the division you'll be writing about mm-hmm. for CBS. Sports.com and people can check that out um, on on the website. Obviously, who do you think had the best and worst offseason in that division? Um, I think the Chargers had a really good offseason. They finally have like a real offensive line now. You know, they're getting Forrest Lamp back, who missed all of last season with an injury. They signed Mike Pouncey. Um, you know, they uh, excuse me that Derwin James somehow fell to that. That was the steal of the draft, the seventeenth pick in the draft, and like you know. I've already talked about it. I went to Miami. I do not like guys that went to Florida State. Derwin James is amazing. Yeah. Like he's going to be so good for them on the back half of that defense, and that really solidifies. I think they have one of the better defenses in the league. You know, they've got Melvin Ingram and Bosa up front. They've got guys like uh, you know Denzel Perryman on the second level, and I mean their secondary is, is unbelievable now. Between uh, you know Casey Hayward and Trevor Williams was a really good find for them last year. Uh, Verrett. You know, if he can stay healthy, sure. is also obviously a really good player. Um, you know, even a guy like Mike Williams, who Desmond King much last year. Um, you know, he's he's going to be back and hopefully healthy now as well. Um, I really, really like what they did throughout this offseason. I'm I'm with you. My my biggest um, my biggest problem with the Chargers is that everybody's on this bandwagon. They're fourteen mm-hmm. to one to win the Super Bowl. John Elway's out in these streets telling people that they're the team to beat. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a whole host of reasons why I'm freaked out about the Chargers being a, a favorite. <laughs> but when you look at their year last year, I mean, they started 0-4, and, and, and they should have been at worst 2-2 two and two in those games that they have even a semblance of, of even – like remotely um, capable special teams and they still won nine games. Like that's a team that yeah. should have won 12 games. They're not going to have a first place schedule clearly that, you know, cause they, they didn't make the playoffs and the chiefs are certainly in some transition moving to Mahomes, who I really like the Broncos are moving to Keenum. The Raiders are moving to Gruden. I mean, there is there is a case to be made that the Chargers could could make a run this year. I I am just worried, dudes, that that they are going to be uh, like a sexy sleeper pick, and I'm going to have to fight off the bandwagon oh. Chargers people on, on as they climb aboard my bus. Oh, that's definitely going to happen. I, yeah. I, first, of all, I feel like it happens every year. It's like them and the Bucks are like the sexy <laughs> sleeper picks 
every single year and, and everybody's always all over them and then they never work out. Um, you know, the, the thing that worries me is the offense more than the deep. Like I think the defense is just going to be really good. Yeah. There's so much talent there that I feel like, you know, especially with Bosa and Ingram up front, I have a hard time seeing that defense being bad. Um, the thing that worries me is, you know, Bill Rivers is getting up there in age at this point, And he was super inconsistent last year. Not that he hasn't always been inconsistent throughout his career, but I think last year was, you know, even more so, you know, he had a couple of real meltdown games where it was just like, all right, come on, Bill, like throw to your own team at some point. Um, that was the, then, that like, was the, know, chief, that was the chief committed game. to Melvin Gordon, who averages like 3.8 yards carry as, you know, their, their top running back, then, you know, sort of a foundation of their offense. So, you know, those two things are a little bit worrisome to me. But they think that the defense is good enough that they might just win the division anyway. Yeah, and Hunter Henry could blossom into an absolute monster mm-hmm. this year with Antonio Gates out of the picture. Who had the worst? We're going to do this one quickly because we're approaching the magical forty-minute mark. Who uh, who had the worst worst offseason? I, I mean, for me, it's an easy pick. It's the Raiders. Yeah, well, um, this is not nineteen ninety-eight, so <laughs> it's the Raiders. John Gruden may want to bring football back to nineteen ninety-eight and sign two blocking tight ends and trade for a fullback. But, you know, this is not 1998. Um, that's, you know, yeah, it's that's not it. Yeah. Every, everybody they signed was like 30 year, thirty or older. I mean, I'm looking at it, It's like, you know, Jordy Nelson, obviously over 30 years old. You know, maybe he's still, maybe got something left in the tank. Maybe he doesn't. Lee Smith, uh, Marcus Gilchrist is 29. Breno Giacomini is 32. Reggie Nelson, they re-signed 34. They signed Derek Johnson, who's 35 and like couldn't move last year. They brought in Josh Johnson. They brought EJ Manuel back. They signed Dwayne Harris, who like hasn't done anything as a returner or receiver in years. They talked about character when they cut Marquette King, and then they signed Daryl Worley after he got arrested like five days earlier. I mean, they signed Leon Hall. When was the last time you heard Leon Hall's name? Like, yeah, it, uh, it's it's weird. It's it's the whole thing is just it's. I, I almost feel like Gruden is effing with us, and I can't tell if he is doing so in a manner that he thinks is going to like, like, does he, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I, 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 I'm worried that it's so obvious that they're going to be bad, that they're going to come out and just be good. And we're all going to be caught off guard by it. That's the thing I worry about the most with them. Yeah. I mean, somewhat just because I feel like everybody, you know, on the football internet is in on like, what are the Raiders doing? Um, you know, that said, like, what are the Raiders doing, man? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are they, the Raiders they, doing? They got, you know, they didn't get great value to trade back from 10 to 15. Um, you know, Colton Miller, you know, who knows? We'll see what happens with that pick. Um, you know, they took a guy who, you know, was supposed to be a first round pick coming out of Michigan, Maurice Hurst, who, you know, one general manager said after the draft, I can't remember who tweeted it out. They were like, you know, they said that it was irresponsible for the Raiders to pick him because they'll eventually put him on the field and he could die on the field. Yeah. Like, I can't remember who tweeted that out, but that was like a real quote that came from a GM because they were like legitimately worried that Maurice Hurst might die on the field. And, and that was one of the picks the, the Raiders used. You know, they took a guy, PJ Hall, who was like a, a very, very raw athletic specimen uh, from Sam Houston State to play defensive tackle. And like they could obviously use some athleticism on their defensive line along with Cleo Mack, but that's not necessarily the kind of guy who jumps out during his first season and makes an impact. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it. You know, they're they're still basing their running game on you know thirty eight year old or whatever Marshawn Lynch, who was not very effective for most of last season. And Doug Martin, um, come on, get out. And, of here. Oh, and they signed Doug Martin too, yeah. who has had two good seasons in six years and is more notable for his suspensions and ruining fantasy football teams. Um, yes, you know, yes. like 
I'm I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think the Raiders. Uh, I think the Raiders are the clear losers in the division. All right, we got to get out of here. Uh, this because- sucks. We agreed too much. Let's argue next time. I think agreeing is fine as long as you talk about smarts. As long as you, as long as you like say smart stuff, uh, which means we you, it might be dumb by the time the season actually rolls around. All right, follow him on Twitter at jadubin five. Read his stuff at cbssports.com. Go check out. You created a whole prospect database, which we can dive into uh, the next time you're on the pod. Um, thanks for coming, all buddy. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me.